As you're turning this morning to Romans chapter 8, while you're turning, I want you to think of something. In our culture, in our society, what do most people think of when they hear the word meek? Or what picture do they get in their mind when they hear the word meek? Children? Little child on a hill? The meek little child? You've all got meek little children, I'm sure. They, they were all so good over Christmas. Or somebody looks like this? Is that a meek person? Or for some of you that are older, Charlie Brown? He's a meek person, isn't he? Meek as a lamb? Innocent little lamb? Or, of course, everybody would want to be Superman rather than meek? Clark Kent. Nobody wants to be Clark Kent. Wonder, what do you think of when you hear the word meek? Occasionally, over the last few months, when I've been speaking, we've been looking at the idea of discipleship. And by the way, you want a New Year's resolution? This would be a good verse for that. Because what proves we're disciples? By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. There is a way to tell if we're actually being his disciples or not, and this is one of the key ways. That you bear much fruit. And dealing with bearing much fruit, we've been looking at the idea of displaying the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5. Because we understand that's part of the bearing much fruit that we'll see if we're being the disciples we should be. Here in Romans 8, just a few verses remind us what are some of the decisions we must make to display the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 3, it reminds us he sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the set the mind on the flesh is death, but the set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Some phrases that show up here, and they show up in Galatians chapter 5. That if I want to display the fruit of the Spirit, first I have to walk or live according to the Spirit. Live in harmony with the Spirit. Live in partnership with the Spirit. And so because of that, I should be setting my mind on the Spirit, my focus on the Spirit, because the Spirit is constantly trying to communicate with me. Constantly giving me instructions on what to do and not do, but I've got to keep my mind focused on Him, and then not just do that, but be led by the Spirit. When He instructs me, I then must obey. As we do those things, the result is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And though we have looked at each of these aspects individually, we understand this is a package deal. These are not fruits. This is all aspect of one fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit works, this is the package that comes out. This is what it looks like altogether. And Galatians 5 tells us we don't get this fruit, so we look so spiritual. We get this fruit, so by love we can serve others. 
And the fruit is given through us to be used by others, just like on a fruit on a tree is not there to just sit there for the tree. It's for others to use that fruit. So we've looked at a number of aspects in past months to see what does this look like. And this word for love, of course, is the agape love. You display God's love by choosing what's best for God and for others, which is unnatural to us because we want to do what's best for us first, not what's best for others. And we live life and we serve with joy when the Holy Spirit's working. We have a positive attitude. We take pleasure. We take delight. We actually enjoy serving others. Not something, again, we like doing on our own. We'll demonstrate peace first with God. We'll be at peace with God, but we will be at peace with others. In fact, we'll work at being at peace with others, and we'll work at helping others be at peace with other people. We'll be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We'll do this with patience. The Spirit will help us be long-suffering because it's hard to serve people. It's not easy to serve people. How do we know? Because it's not easy serving us. And patience in the New Testament always has something to do with dealing with anger biblically because people tend to tick us off. You figure that out? And the goal will be always to dispense mercy. Not give them what they deserve, but give them mercy. We'll show kindness to others. It's a word for gracious or useful to others out of a concern for them. And so because we're concerned about others, we'll do something that will be useful to them, kind acts, and we'll do good things. A Greek word that means uprightness of heart and life. It's goodness not just for the sake of goodness. It's goodness for the benefit of others. And it's something that's not just, you're not trying to just look good. You're actually wanting to do good from the inside out. And we'll do this faithfully. We'll have conviction. We'll have confidence in God and his word. And because of that, our service will be demonstrated by a constancy, by a consistency, by a capability, and by a continual use. Well, this sounds easy so far, doesn't it? And then we get to a word that's, oh, this sounds easy, doesn't it? Gentleness. Got to be pretty, we all know what gentle means, doesn't it? By the way, my name means gentle. Doesn't that fit? It fits perfectly, doesn't it? We know gentleness, don't we? And probably we're going to find out it's probably the most difficult of all the words to define in the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the word that's also translated meek. In fact, in many translations, meekness is put rather than gentleness. It's gentleness in ESV, but it's meekness in most other translations because that's the word. And if I asked most of you what meekness was, some of you would have the pictures we had at the beginning. Others would have other ideas. And some of you would say, well, it's something about being humble, but it's not the word for humble. Or it's something about being gentle, but it's not the word for being gentle. And some of you have heard the phrase, it's power under control. Nice phrase, but it always sounds like you're ready to explode, doesn't it? The reason that definition comes out is because this word was also used for training horses. 
to get horses under train, under training and under control. The actual word means this. It means depressed in mind or circumstances or held down in some way. Its translation's hard. It depends on the context. But generally, this is what it means. And in the Greek society of Jesus' time, this was not a prized virtue. Nobody wanted to be meek. None of the Greeks would say, all of you should shoot for meekness, for gentleness. In fact, they would say the opposite. You never shoot for this. And so the best idea of the word seems to be not being self-assertive. That's the best idea that comes around this gentleness or this meekness. If I ask you what humility was, some of you say, well, it's putting myself down. No, that's false humility. You understand that? That's usually we do that because we want a compliment, right? I did so bad at this, so they'll say, oh, no, you did great. That's not humility. Humility is putting God in his place. Humility is making more of God, and meekness seems to be the attribute, the attitude, the action that demonstrates we put God in his place. And so here's a definition for this idea of gentleness or meekness. It's a refusal to elevate our own importance, which means you're going to elevate God's importance. Serving in such a way that we don't take precedence or we don't put the focus on ourselves. That's the idea here of this word that's defined gentleness or meekness. Now turn back to Numbers chapter 12. Just warn you, you're not going to get bored this morning. You've got a lot of passages I'm going to have you turn to. Numbers chapter 12. We're trying to figure out this morning kind of what this definition means. What am I looking for if I'm looking for meekness as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? What will the Spirit do through me or want me to do? If I ask you the meekest man who ever lived, you're going to answer Jesus. Nice try. Some of you got the second meekest one. Meek's one with Jesus. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, take my yoke and learn of me. Take my yoke on you. He says, for I am gentle. That's the same word meek that we're talking about, meekness and gentleness. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And then he gave an example of his refusal to elevate his importance in John 13 when he says, if I, your Lord and teacher, I'm the most important one, but I washed your feet, you should wash other feet. But if we go to the Old Testament, who's the meekest man in the Old Testament? Moses. You're in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Question, who wrote that verse? Moses did. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand something. That's why Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly. This is something you can identify in yourself. And you can identify when you don't have it. And so Moses identifies he has it. Well, let's look at an example that he didn't elevate his own importance. Back in chapter 11, Moses had been the only one taking all the people on all their burden, all their complaining. And so in verse 16, the Lord says, take 70 elders 
and have them come together with you so they can share the burden with you. So in verse 24, so Moses went out after he'd done this. He told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they didn't continue doing it. Now two men remained at the camp, one named Eldad and one the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. He's the most important one here, isn't he? They took this, God took the spirit that was on Moses and put on these 70 guys. Look what Moses says, though. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophet, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? What's Moses say? I'm not the important one. The Lord's spirit is the important one. That's this idea of meekness. A refusal to elevate our own importance. Now, let's see if we can figure out kind of the distinctions of how we try to serve others and how this fruit, this aspect of meekness and gentleness will come out in our lives and the difference between the two. Because when we try to serve, our first natural goal is we want somebody to see that we've served, don't we? We want somebody to say, hey, what a great job you did. We want somebody to acknowledge that our service was important whatever it was. So somebody has to see it and acknowledge it. Remember the Pharisees were the same way in Matthew 23. They do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long. They love the best seats in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Wow, it's so great you're a rabbi. And they made sure their clothes identified who they were. Because naturally, whenever we serve, we want somebody to see it. But you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Don't do what's natural to do in your service, which is you want to be seen. Instead, if it's the fruit of, the, of meekness, this aspect, you just want to be a servant whether you're seen or not. Who's our first example? Jesus. Remember Philippians chapter 2? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He didn't come to be seen. Remember Isaiah 53 says there's no beauty, no majesty about him that we would desire him. There's nothing to attract us to him visibly in who he is and what he does. That's why he's the meekest one who ever lived. He didn't come to be seen. He came to serve. Well, how about Moses? Look in chapter 12. How did he show he wanted to just serve? We just read verses 1 to 3 before. 
where Miriam and Aaron were complaining against Moses, they used his wife as an excuse for why they were complaining. She was just an excuse. What they really wanted to be seen was they wanted to be noticed as just as important as Moses was. Our service is just as important. We want to be seen. So what happens? Verse 4, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down on a pillar of a cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron, Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out to his mother's womb. Remember what Miriam and Aaron have just done. They've attacked Moses in front of the people. And Moses is the important one in this picture, and God even admits that. But look at what Moses does. He could have said, hey, she got what she deserved. But what's he say in verse 13? And Moses cried to the Lord, oh God, please heal her, please. Who was more important in this picture? Miriam. And Moses serves by praying for Miriam for something she doesn't deserve at all, for attacking him. But he refuses to say, I'm more important. I'm here to serve, even serving Miriam. Second, when we serve, we tend to be selective about our service. We serve when, how, and where we think we want to serve. We think that's our choice, that we'll serve in these areas, but we won't serve in these areas. Same thing the Pharisees did, Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You'll sacrifice on that side, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You'll serve in your tithes, but you won't serve others in justice and mercy and faithfulness. So you're selective in where you will serve me. When this aspect of meekness comes out, what we find is we're willing to sacrifice 2 Corinthians 8, 9, what did Jesus do? For your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The end of Philippians chapter 2, after he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He chose sacrifice. And that's what meekness has you do. Now you're going to say, what about Moses? Did Moses sacrifice anything for the people that he served? What's Hebrews 11 tell us? By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's why Moses is called meek. 
He would give up whatever it took to serve God with Israel. Look over at Numbers chapter 20, though. There was one time when Moses chose not to sacrifice his importance. And it cost him. He chose not to show meekness. And remember in chapter 20, in verse 2, again, there's no water. They're wandering in the wilderness. There's no water. And, of course, the people do what people do. They complain. There's no water. And they're quarreling with Moses and Aaron. They just shouldn't even be there. And Moses and Aaron wisely go to God. And in verse 8, God says, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. One time Moses says, I won't sacrifice my importance for God, that I'm going to try to take credit for what I'm doing rather than give credit to God. And it cost him going into the land. And later on Moses would say, God is right. So look and say, well, God, that's really unfair. Moses would say, God was totally right in not letting me go in, even for that one thing. And again, that shows Moses' meekness, doesn't it? A refusal to say, but God, I'm your prophet. How can you do this to me? No. Sacrificial for the sake of the gospel. Let's go over to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. When we serve, we tend to serve if we'll get, if somebody will see us or acknowledge us. We'll tend to serve if we can be selective about what we serve and where we serve and how we serve. And thirdly, even when we're serving, we will tend to focus on our rights. We are a people who are focused on our rights, not just because we're Americans. You understand that? It's just a natural thing that you want what you think is rightly yours. Go into a nursery. And watch the kids fulfill their rights. If I had this five minutes ago and you try to take it, my right is it was mine forever. It's just a natural thing we have. Here's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. He serves as an apostle. But here's a reminder in verse 4. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of his fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Look at verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Don't we have the right? And some of you are thinking, what rights do we demand when we serve? Well, we want to serve in the position we want to serve in, don't we? And if we can't serve in that position, we're not going to serve. 
Or we want our ideas to be used in the area that we serve. They should do it the way we think it should be done, shouldn't they? Or certainly we should be thanked for our service. We should be acknowledged that we served in this area. Don't we have the right to get something back for serving? Shouldn't our needs be met? Why do I have to keep getting to somebody else's needs? Isn't it amazing? We just focus on our rights, don't we? But look at verse 12 again. What happens when uh, we show this meekness through the Spirit? Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul says, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Verse 18, What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? What's the Holy Spirit going to do if we listen to him? He's going to say, put your rights behind you. Refuse to demand your rights. By the way, that's the the idea of power under control. That I refuse to make what I need most important. Philippians chapter 2, what's it say? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Some translations said, don't look to your own interest, but only to the interest of others. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is working his fruit through us. He'll say, will you give up what you want for somebody else? Now, what might I have to refuse to give up that I think is my right to do? How about being angry? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls and be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But this person made me mad. Don't I have the right to be angry? answer is, you do, but you're going to give it up. If the Spirit's working, he'll say, anger will not produce the righteousness of God. You must refuse to use that. Or how about this one? The last phrase says on to be gentle. That's our same word. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Well, what does that include? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, then to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. What will I refuse to do? I'll refuse to disobey authority. Well, that's my right, isn't it? They did something against me, I can... No. I'm ready for every good work, every opportunity, not just the ones I want to take. Well, you don't know what this person did. I have the right to speak evil of that person. No, you don't. When the Holy Spirit works, you will not speak evil of anyone. You'll avoid quarreling. 
None of that happened over the holidays, did it? When your families got together? To show perfect courtesy toward all people. What an interesting couple of verses, isn't it? And we look at that and we say, I can't do that. And you understand that? You're right. You can't. That's why it's got to be of the Spirit. Wives, you have this one. In 1 Peter 3, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, that's our same word, and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. I deserve my rights in my marriage, don't I? Yeah, but if you're showing meekness, you'll refuse to use those rights. You'll submit because that's what God wants you to do. Turn over to Acts 5. We'll get there in a second. I want to remind you of this, how this is demonstrated. And we don't show this meekness even of ourselves. You understand that? Some of you say, I'm just naturally born meek and gentle. You may be, but that's not the fruit of meekness. Because as meek and gentle as you are, you still want to be seen, you want your rights, you want to be selective. It's amazing how it still works. So this is not a natural thing that matches personality. It's something outside of personality. But I remind you, when we're showing this meekness, this refusal to elevate our own importance, we're not showing our meekness, we're showing Christ's meekness. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 10.1, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You realize the Holy Spirit is trying to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be Christ's meekness, Christ's gentleness that's going to be shown. That's why instead of our importance, we demonstrate his importance. And we also understand this is the gentleness, the meekness of the Spirit, because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fruit. It's not me just looking nice and meek and mild because I decided to be that way. In fact, here in Acts 5, I'm going to show you, you can't just be that way because there is a danger in this. One danger we've already seen with Moses who decided to take credit for something he shouldn't have taken credit for, that he should have given God the importance and the credit for that water. But here in Acts 5, you've got a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, but the story really starts the end of chapter 4. When a guy named Joseph sold his property and gave everything he got from that property to meet the needs of those in Jerusalem who had needs, and he didn't evidently do it because he wanted to show anybody up. In fact, the people that make most more of it are the apostles not Joseph. And the apostles renamed this guy to, what's his name? Look at chapter 4, verse 36. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. So he didn't do it, and if you study Barnabas later, you find this is, Barnabas does not want to put himself in the forefront. He doesn't want to be the important one. And he didn't do this to look important. But to the apostles who gave him this name and to everybody else, Barnabas looked like, wow, this is a way to look important. And so now you have Ananias and Sapphira who've seen this and they say, hey, we can get in on that. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it, you think? Ananias' fire thought that meekness was something you could just show put on outwardly. That we'll look important with our service. We'll do something that Barnabas did, but we really aren't doing what Barnabas did. We just want to make it look like we're sacrificing everything, but we're really not. By the way, you understand if they had just sold it and given a part to the Lord, that'd have been all right? But they wanted to be acknowledged for their importance. And in this case, it cost them. And I remind you, this is under grace, not under law. That's something God doesn't seem to mess around with is his idea of humility and meekness. That he expects us, when he asks us to do it, to demonstrate who's more important. So there's a danger with this one to think, I can do things and look like I'm being sacrificial and look like I'm being meek, but I'm really not. We want to do the real thing. And there are also individuals in the scripture who depict this for us. I think of David. Remember David as a young boy, basically, a teenager, is told he's going to be the next king. And so then he goes to work for the current king, the one who's going to be removed, King Saul. And Saul decides, I don't like this guy, and spends a whole lot of time trying to kill him. Well, how many times could David have killed Saul? But wasn't David the more important one? Not to David. David keeps saying, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. That's meekness. Saul is more important than David is in David's mind. I think of Job. You think of all that Job lost, right? He was a righteous guy. Did God have the right to take everything from a righteous guy? You sang this morning what Job said, right? The Lord gives and the Lord taken away. What's the result? What'd you sing? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not more important just because I had stuff. God can do what he wants. And at the end of Job, God has Job to see if Job will pray for his rotten friends. Job, will you put your friends first and pray for them? And Job does. They were more important than he was. Think of John the Baptist in John chapter 3. What's his phrase? He must become greater, I must become lesser. He must increase, I must decrease. That's this idea of meekness. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. How about the Apostle Paul? Wasn't he the most important one in the New Testament? The apostle of the Gentiles, the one who got all these churches started, the one who wrote all these books of the New Testament. This is an important guy, isn't he? This is a spiritual guy. This is a guy everybody should look up to. He talks about it in Philippians 3, verse 4. After verse 3, he says, put no confidence in flesh. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I am as important as it gets. Then what's he say? But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's meekness. I should look more important than anybody else, but I refuse to elevate my importance. In fact, if I'm given any credit, it's loss for Christ. I want Christ to get the credit, not me. Well, what's some evidence you may have seen this fruit in your life or you're not seeing this aspect of the fruit? Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's our word. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Been helping anybody else spiritually? Then you're listening to the Spirit in this area. And while you're helping these people, have you thought, well, I'm glad I'm better than these guys glad I don't have these problems then you didn't have the spirit of meekness so I says keep watch on yourself because you could just as much have fallen as they did turn to your left to Ephesians 4 go back a couple of pages Ephesians 4 verse 1 he urged them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with humility and gentleness there's our word verse 2 How does that show up? With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what you've seen in your life, bearing with one another in love? Keeping the unity of the body, everybody else's ideas are just as important or more important than yours? How about this? Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Or are you thinking, i got to make sure these people know I know more than they do, so i got to show them who knows more. That's not meekness. You don't quarrel. Those of you that are leaders, how about this? You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do you do leadership? Do you lord it over people? Your title, your position, your authority... Or do you serve with meekness? Here's evidence we're showing meekness. We stop trying to show how great we are, but instead how great God is. 
We stop trying to take credit for what we do. We stop trying to get people to acknowledge how great we've done things and let it rest with God. We want God to get the credit. Look over in 1 Corinthians 3. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 3 that somewhat sums up this attitude of meekness. A refusal to elevate our own importance. And the church at Corinth had real problems taking sides. Chapter 3, verse 4, one was following Paul, another was following Apollos. And then here's what Paul says. Here's the attitude of meekness. Who then is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are we? Who is Kevin? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God gives the growth. That's the attitude of meekness. That I will try to serve in a way that I don't become the focus. God becomes the focus as we serve others. And that's what the Spirit is going to try to get us to do. And when you serve today, when you serve this week, who's going to get the credit? Who do you want to get the attention? Who do you want to get the thanks? This is how your Father's glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove that you are disciples, that the Holy Spirit was working through you. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard thing for us to do. Because we all want to be recognized. We all want to be valued. We all want to be acknowledged for what we do. And we take way too much credit. And so this morning, help us to listen to your Spirit, to walk and live according to the Spirit, to be led by your Spirit, to be willing to set aside ourselves and our importance and our goals and our desires and just do what you ask us to do, to serve others in love. And we thank you for your help in this. Amen.